Hey y'all, welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I'm your host, Heather McFadden, and this is the place where I get to walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources so you know that you don't mom alone. And in this episode, number 351, I get to introduce you to childhood development specialist, Dr. Nell Bush. And you're going to have moments where you're teaching and training and you will think it is totally going on deaf ears and they will go uh, and they'll fight and they'll argue and they will act like you're the worst parent in the world. And I think that you just can't avoid that upset. You have to just realize that's part of this age and you just keep pushing through as patiently and calmly with as much love as you can teaching these values. So I reached out to our Instagram community and I said, what kind of episodes would you like to see in 2022? And I was shocked how many were about teenagers because I really in my mind thought that this audience had uh, young children. And then I realized, oh, wait, I've been doing the show for eight years. And if y'all really have been walking alongside me, then your kids are growing up too and you're in a new season. So then I pulled and said, okay, how many of you have at least one child that's 10 or more and 50%, 50%, which is a lot. And then I received some DMs from moms who said, even though my child is not older, I would still love to learn about what to expect, what's coming up, how to parent in those years, just so I can tuck it away and have it for later. And so when I was thinking about who to have on to talk about normal development in the preteen and teen years, Dr. Nell Bush or Nell she has her doctorate in child development from UT in Austin. She's such a great mentor in this Dallas area talking on the topic of child development. She's co-authored the book, The Parenting Survival Guide. And today she's going to share four pillars of development, physical development, cognitive development, social development, and emotional development. She's going to go into each area and give us some tips to kind of help us because it's different. That's the amazing thing of children, the difference between a newborn and a toddler and what they can do, and then the toddler and the, the you know, nine-year-old and what they can do. And then we get into this stage, and the amount of growth that happens is unbelievable. It is also challenging if we don't know what to expect, we don't know how to help. And so I, I think you're going to be encouraged. I do have to tell you that it was so helpful to me as I'm walking in this season that I shared a few things about my boys that we later have had to edit out because I was like, I don't think they even want me sharing that. That is the stage we're in. It can be isolating for parents of teenagers because you're now reaching where it's their story. And so you cannot talk to other moms as easily about it. And that's hard. And so if I can help you with this episode and know what's typical and um, I think really some things that stand out to me uh, is how it impacts your marriage, how you need th- those years between like five and 10, just really soaking up that sweet golden age uh, with your family and not taking that for granted. And anyway, there's so many great nuggets in here. Let's get right to it. Here we go. Now, welcome to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. Thanks, Heather. I'm excited to be here. What a full circle moment for me because (laughs) y'all, I just want to tell you, I first heard Nell when I had maybe a three-year-old and a one-year-old and I was sitting in mops and I still remember things that she said. So if that's you, if you're listening and you're thinking, you know, I don't know what Nell's going to share is going to help me out. I'm telling you, if you don't have kids that are preteens or teens, just hold on. And she's going to give us an overview of child development. It's going to be fantastic. Before we get into all of that, though, I'd love now if you'd introduce, you know, a little bit about what you do and your family. Sure. So I'm a child development specialist. I um, have my doctorate in child development from UT in Austin. Woo-hoo. And uh, <laughs> oh, I'm not supposed to say whoop. No, that's A and M. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> that's okay. I'm a Hoosier. Um, <laughs> I don't know what to do. <laughs> and I um, taught child development in family classes at UT for several years, and then my husband and I moved to Dallas. And I basically took all that material I've been teaching undergraduates and started speaking to parenting groups, and that's what I've been doing ever since for 
almost 30 years. And I love what I do because I've been raising my own kids through this whole process. And it's been so helpful to me to be with other moms and to get to share and to learn myself as I go along. And so now it's hard to believe, but Shelby, my husband and and our four kids are in their twenties. And I, I never thought this day would come, but we have one boy, three girls, 28, 26, 23, 21. So, but I I still remember the teenage years. I'm still recovering from those. (laughs) You probably had teenagers when I heard you speak. So yeah, maybe, maybe Maybe so. Yeah. So I think what I found helpful when I heard you was just knowing what was typical and kind of being prepped for that because I know when I'm talking to a mom of, let's say a four-year-old boy, and she's talking about how impulsive and, you know, just physical and I, and they're so terrified. They're projecting. This is how he's going to be forever. And I think, (laughs) no, that's very normal. And we used to say alive till five with one of mine, because just not really recognizing how his actions would impact things. You just really, that impulsivity, it does help, you know, improve a little Mm bit. Little bit yes. for boys, but could you? I know you have these pillars of development. I'd love for you to share with us and talk us through so we have something to stand on on what's typical for our kids. Sure. So, first of all, I love early childhood, that is my favorite stage to talk about, even though it's a very challenging, exhausting stage for parents. But They're just so cute and the things they say and they're just squishy and I don't know, it's just personally my favorite, but I do remember being completely exhausted in that stage and always sweating. So that is a challenging (laughs) stage of development from about age birth until about first grade, seven, age seven. Then we get into the middle childhood years. And that is from around age seven to about age 11. And that is what we call the golden years of parenting, because there's a lot less going on developmentally with our kids. Their brain's not growing as fast. Their body's not growing as fast. And so they are more peaceful. They are more respectful. They're becoming more competent in things and more coordinated. So they have these skills and they, they love to use their skills. And so this is kind of a, more peaceful period of parenting, not true for every family, but for most families. So you kind of get in this nice, smooth period. And then all of a sudden, here come the preteen teen years. And that all starts in you. It really, there's a range of when that starts. For some kids, it's as early as 10 and a half, 11. For some kids, it's not till about age 14 that you really start seeing some of these tendencies that we'll talk about. But when it happens, it often catches you off guard because you you've heard the stories about how kids act when they're teens and that they might make these choices that will surprise you. But you just think, oh, not my precious (laughs) nine year old who's being so respectful and loves school and loves me. And and then all of a sudden it happens and they move into this new stage of development and If we can understand exactly why this is happening, it is so helpful. It can give us more perspective as parents. It can give us more patience, no matter how challenging it gets, that there's a lot of good reasons why this is happening. And so if we look at the four kind of pillars of development, we talk about physical development, cognitive, which relates to all their mental brain development, their social development, and their emotional development. Um, So if you want, I can just go through each of those briefly, and then maybe we can talk about some tips that parents can use or have in their tool belt to help. Super help. I mean, I already feel better because I do think for so many of my, like, I only have boys. So again, I don't know what's a boy thing, what's a human thing, but at 11, there definitely was an unexpected shift faith, emotion, social interactions with me that no one was talking about, you know, they always talk about teens. They don't talk about 11 year olds. Oh, yes. So I do think it's if you're just hearing that for the first time, moms, (laughs) (laughs) this is normal. But again, that range, like you talked about from 
it can start at 10 for some and not till 14. I'm thinking about how all these kids are in class together. Yes. And so someone's going through at 11 and then the other kids not till 14 and how challenging that can be socially. Yes. There are actually a lot of studies on that, looking at how does timing of puberty and physical development affect self-esteem. And it's interesting, the findings, the early maturing males tend to have the most confidence. And Mm. we can understand why that is, because they're probably the ones getting to do sports. And they're often the ones that the teachers call upon without even recognizing it as the leaders in the class. And then you have the late maturing males, and that can be really hard on those boys. And sometimes they become the clown of the class because that they figure out this is going to be my role is to just kind of be the funny, crazy one. And and then we can get to girls in a second, but it's really important just that parents at home are talking about, you know, God has timing for everybody and he has a plan for each of you and your time will come. Mm. And to really help kids who are later bloomers to get in some positive activities where they can shine Mm. um, if they're not necessarily going to be in the sports world, but a positive church activity or music or art. And we, I think we have to be so careful that we don't have expectations of where we want them to shine We need to just really make sure they're finding their own little niche that they can have success. Now, as far as girls, the way they mature, the findings are um, mixed. So it depends on income group. If you're Mm -hmm. in a higher income group, it is easier to be an early maturing female. If you're in a lower income group, that tends to be a harder thing in terms of self-esteem. And we could talk forever about the innuendo of all that. but it does affect kids when they mature. And I think we as parents need to be so sensitive to that and realize this, this is big. So along those same lines of physical development, yeah, that's one of the big pillars. We cannot underestimate how dramatic this area of development is in during these years. It is second only to the top baby and toddler years of how fast everything is growing and changing most children will add about nine to 10 inches in height over the course of those few years. Uh, Girls will often have a major weight gain, usually around age nine to 11. It's when they'll kind of get a little bit chunky and chubby before they grow. Boys will usually gain about 42 pounds between the ages of 10 and 12. And not only are there is their body growing, but there are all these physiological changes. And so the hormones are starting to rage and it just really changes the way they relate to the world. And so they become very self-conscious because of the hormonal changes and the changes in their body structure. You know, things are getting bigger and smaller and um, they're very self-conscious of that. And that's why a lot of them want to have privacy. They lock their door. They don't want people to see them. A lot of them get, you know, acne or suffer with skin issues because of the hormones and they're self-conscious about that. This contributes to fatigue. Teenagers are tired. And I really think parents do need to let their teens sleep as much as possible when you have the opportunity. So I know that for some families, it's hard. We kind of think they're lazy on a Saturday morning if they're sleeping till 11 or so. But if you think about it, they're growing almost as much as a toddler and a toddler took two naps a day and your teen is not napping and they're staying up later than they used to. And they're really, they really do need sleep because the brain is growing so fast, the hormones, their body, So that's really a gift we can give them. And obviously, if they're sleeping too much, you would want to check that and make sure they're not having some depression or something like that. But let them sleep late. That's a big tip. Let the bear sleep. Don't wake the sleeping bear. (laughs) And then also they have these intense emotions because of the hormones that they can be very dramatic. They you will hear them say things like, everybody hates me. So-and-so hates me so much. Nobody has ever felt like I feel about this. 
So that is all related to this tremendous physical and physiological growth that's happening. So that's that area. It's super helpful. I remember hearing it about them, you know, gaining physically so much weight. And I remember doing an episode on eating disorders and how often these eating disorders start boys and girls during that season. Mm -hmm. And whether it's a parent who has their own body image issues that are getting projected or fear, like sometimes there's this fear of, oh my goodness, we're not paying attention to what you're eating and look what's happening to your body. And it's like to know that this is normal. And Mm -hmm. actually I have a boy, I mean, my husband's genetics is really nice for him that they can eat whatever and their metabolism is really fast. Yeah. So, but my one son hadn't gained enough. And so when he grew tall really quickly, he has stretch marks all on his back. Oh wow! So it's like you kind like your body needs it to pull and go up. It's like, go out and go up. And I've talked to many moms who've expressed like, oh my gosh, I don't know what's going on with Bobby. You know, he's seems to be putting on pounds and I'm like, that's great. That means he's about to grow up, go, go up taller. And yeah, but I think that the peers with each other can be so cruel. Mm-hmm. And so as a parent, if we don't have that fear or those narratives, like you were saying, like the lazy narrative, all these mm-hmm. words that we layer on top of what's typical, mm-hmm. that whether we say out loud or just say in our head, I think it's good to kind of reflect like, what messages am I telling myself about my child right now? They're so dramatic. They're too sensitive, you know, that are not helpful to our connection or their self-esteem. Yeah. I think that's why it's so helpful to understand normal development, because then we can just keep reassuring them, keep reassuring them of this. And, oh yeah, those were good. I love those comments. That was great. Okay, y'all, I have to tell you about an amazing new service I found called Frame Bridge. So, Frame Bridge makes it easier and more affordable than ever to frame your favorite things without ever leaving the house. Add a gallery wall to your home office, send the perfect gift from art prints and diplomas to the photos sitting on your phone. You can frame bridge just about anything. So, how does it work? You basically go to framebridge.com and upload your photo. Or you ask them to send you packaging to safely mail in your physical pieces that you want framed. You can preview the item online with lots of frame styles and gallery wall layouts. Choose your favorite or even get free recommendations if you're like me and you need help from talented designers. The experts at FrameBridge will custom frame your item and deliver it directly to your door ready to hang. Instead of paying hundreds at a framing store, their prices start at $39 and all shipping is free. Plus, as a Don't Mom Alone listener, you're going to get 15% off your first order at framebridge.com when you use the code DMA. You can order online at framebridge.com or stop by a store to work with a designer if you live in New York, DC, Atlanta, Philly, Boston, or Chicago. I know, as we're talking about teens, that it is hard (laughs) to see them grow up. And sometimes you want to have a picture on the wall of them in a certain season and stage. And I know that I worked really hard to finally get a picture off of my phone that we had taken and framed and put on the wall. And I'd love for you to do the same. So get started today. Frame your photos or send someone the perfect gift this year. Go to framebridge.com. Use the promo code DMA to save an additional 15% off your first order. Go to framebridge.com, promo code DMA. Framebridge.com, promo code DMA. So physical, this is our okay, one so that was physical, physical and it really okay. does drive what's going on with the others as well as the cognitive mm. pillar, which relates to their brain growth, their intellectual life, their academic life. So that's their cognitive development. And so their brain is growing at a really rapid rate as well, all of a sudden, and it's making these 
new connections. There's so many neural connections happening that what actually shifts in their brain is their, this new ability to think abstractly. Hmm. So they can, which is a good thing in many ways. They can think about the future. They can think about what do I want to be when I grow up and what steps will it take for me to get there? And they can think about what kind of person do I want to be? What kind of friend do I want to be? So they've got all these new, good, abstract thoughts. But what can be the result of some of this? Because their brain isn't fully developed yet. We know that the frontal lobe where all the problem solving and analytical reasoning is really still developing until about age 25 and maybe even beyond. (laughs) Uh, But this new ability to think abstractly, it can relate to these two kind of annoying habits and one of them or behaviors. One of them is called the imaginary audience. Mm. And this is the idea that now that they can think about others having thoughts and that they have all these thoughts, they become consumed with the idea that everyone is thinking about them and watching them at all times. This is another reason they've become so self-conscious and they want privacy to be in their room because they feel like when they walk out to school or to a restaurant and heaven forbid they're with their family and they run into a, a group of friends, they just think everyone is looking at what I'm wearing, what I look like, what I'm saying. And so they carry this imaginary audience with them till about age 15 or 16 And that explains a lot of their being embarrassed by being with family and having to wear a certain thing. I mean, and and they end up all wearing the same thing. They all look alike. There might as well be a uniform, but because they don't want to stand out. And And don't wear a coat. Heaven forbid. Don't wear a coat. Exactly. Boys are going to wear shorts and, you know, Mm -hmm. all that. And it's just this heightened sense that people are watching me at all times Mm -hmm. and judging me. And I mean... I I have some friends who I think still have an imaginary audience, but most kids do grow out of this. Well, but I'm thinking now we've added phones. Yes. So the audience isn't imaginary, especially if it's an 11 year old with a phone with social media. So true. They're out there and it's not imaginary. There is an audience and they are commenting. And so even if it cognitively goes away at age 15, I feel like it just actually doesn't. You're right. Yeah. And so it's just, I'm just so sad for them because Uh you can convince them for so long. And then it's like, okay, now we've got to give them different tools. Yes. We can't just say there's not one. We've Uh got to say, okay, who is the one who gets the only one? Who's the only one who gets to say who you are and where your value and your identity comes from? And that's God, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. So yeah, really, I, I'm so glad you brought that up. We they do have this imaginary, kind of exaggerated sense of their importance in their brain, but then they actually do have this audience, and th- that they're making mistakes in front of, and there's just there's just so much yeah. pressure, yeah. and it it's just it really, if you don't have parents pouring into you the truth and some kind of grounding in being a child of God. And this is your true identity. It's a very dark place for them. Yeah. So we have an extra job now with <laughs> going with the social media, going against it as well. Yeah. I mean, we can protect them for so long and God willing mm-hmm. more power to you. Do the dumb phones or no phones as long as you can. Mm-hmm. But I think ultimately it is that work, like you're talking about, to be that voice, yeah. to be that grounding, to be able to go out in the world and not mm-hmm. be informed by the world. But yeah, well, I'm so glad you brought that up. So the another aspect of their thinking that is kind of challenging for us as parents and even teachers is this idea of personal fable mm. and the personal fable is this sense, it's similar to the imaginary audience, but it's this belief that they somehow have an immortal, unique existence. That you're telling me these rules like I shouldn't um, drink or I shouldn't drive without a seatbelt or I'm supposed to only drive with one person in the car or whatever. But you know, that really, I'm not going to get caught. That applies to other kids 
that applies to other people, but I'm unique. I'm kind of bulletproof. So this is a profound characteristic of the teenage brain. And we're constantly trying to find ways to break through that personal fable and get kids attention. Hmm. And so like one of the most successful advertising campaigns ever was way back when it's going to be before some of these moms time when there was the fried egg and it said, this is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. Yes. That actually, they found that to be a very successful campaign because something about that concrete visual image broke through the teenage personal fable that Mm. That won't, I won't be affected by drugs. That might hurt someone else, but not me. So we're always looking for those ways. Um, but just so you know that as parents, we it's important for us to know that, that they don't think they're going to get hurt by the certain things we're telling them. And they an, a, part of this as well is they don't think anyone feels things like they feel them. Hmm. So when we say to them, oh, sweetie, back when I was your age, I had a crush like that. I was in love like that. They just sit there and say, no, you have never, nobody has ever felt like this before. You cannot relate to me. And that's where some of the conflict and tension can come with us as well. They, they don't like some of the things we say to them, just trying to relate to them. And so that's that personal fable. Do they receive it from peers? Like if a peer tells them they feel that way, do they receive it? Or is it still like, no, you don't get. Yeah, probably more. Definitely more, more than because they're us. much more affected by the peer group, unfortunately, than by us during the full blown teenage years. Mm. Um, and we'll get to that's the social okay. pillar. Okay. Um, so, okay. So we kind of went through the cognitive and then we get to social and they definitely are more identified with their peers. They want to be with their peers. They think about the peer group all the time. They become more subject to peer pressure. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. they become more cliquish, especially in those middle school years. They can become very critical of others. They can become mean girls, mean kids that we never dreamed one of our children would become. But in a sense, it's a protective mechanism that it's so important for a preteen and a teen to belong mm. to a group. Mm. They just are craving a sense of belonging. And so once they find their group, they become very protective of it. And they sometimes make others feel left out less than because that's the way to protect the identity of their group. I'm not saying it's good. It's right. just, it, it just helps is. explain it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if our, if we see our child in a group that could be causing harm to someone else, are you, you're maybe going to get into tips. I don't want to step on your toes, but I'm just well, no, curious. It's fine. We can talk about like, that. is my role to encourage them to make it more like a horseshoe and not a circle. Like, I think that's where, um, I was telling you it's this trickiness of parenting in those younger years versus parenting these teens and preteens. I know mm-hmm. my role changes, but it's really hard. Mm -hmm. to let it change. And so going from the social coordinator to letting them make their mistakes and navigate it. I know it is hard. I, I do think in the middle school years, you still have a little bit of control. I think through their whole lives, we're constantly trying to teach positive values and pointing out when we see, you know, I, I think that girl is really not a good friend to you. You know, and so here's another girl who's wanting to be your friend. And I think we're constantly trying to show things like that. And that in our family, we treat others with kindness. And I would hope and pray you would never make someone feel left out. And we want to include her. We're going to have her over to our house. You know, you can do some of that in middle school. You can kind of set up your social life as a family where maybe they aren't getting to be with certain groups that you see could be a problem. So there is that that can happen. But then in the teenage years, I do think you start this process of letting go more and unfortunately watching them fail and get their feelings hurt. And, or sometimes you have the mean child and that is a hard place to be as well. And these are all learning opportunities. And 
when these moments come when your child's so hurt or so upset or someone calls you and tells you how much your child has hurt their child or whatever it is, those are such hard moments. And as parents, we, our initial reaction is often fear. I think as moms, it's often fear. Yeah. And out of fear, we often overreact or get angry. But if we can just take a deep breath and believe me, I lost it sometimes. I was not a perfect teenage mom, but as much as possible, if I could just pray and go, okay, Lord, thank you for this opportunity. This is an opportunity while they're still under my roof in my home to teach and train. Mm. And you're going to have moments where you're teaching and training and you will think it is totally going on deaf ears and they will go "Uh," and they'll fight and they'll argue and they will act like you're the worst parent in the world. And I think that you just can't avoid that upset. You have to just realize that's part of this age and you just keep pushing through as patiently and calmly with as much love as you can teaching these values, but you do have to let them make some of these mistakes. You can't prevent them from some of these friendships because they're happening at school and places and you can't always see them or know about them. I love getting to share HelloFresh with y'all because I feel like it solves a lot of problems for you and helps you out. One is you aren't worrying about what's for dinner. Two, you know you're feeding your family good farm fresh ingredients. Three, it's saving you money because overall HelloFresh can save you an average of $65 a month when you do that instead of grocery shopping. And it's a lot cheaper than ordering takeout. And often, I don't know what you guys order for takeout. It's a lot healthier. And it helps me keep dinner around the table happening. Family dinners, which Nell Bush is telling us are so important, particularly in the teen years, for them to remember that they have belonging, that they you know, have a place around the table, that we are for them even when it seems like we might have some conflict, they have that time around the table. So what does HelloFresh do? You basically go on there. They have over 50 menu and market items to choose from every week. Veggie, calorie smart, family friendly, gourmet options, lots of variety. You go and pick that out. You have flexibility to customize your order on the app or online, change your delivery date, your food preferences, the plan size, skip a week if you need to. I have loved it. I have loved Um, Being able to go on there, pick it out, and then really be able to have my boys help out has been such a huge part of it. They have great recipe cards that walk you through. I have also found that it's a great option if you have parents who are at home right now. My in-laws, we told them about this deal. I was like, oh, y'all need to check out HelloFresh, and I have a code to get you 16 free meals. And you know their ears perked up with that. So if you guys want that too, go to HelloFresh.com slash DMA1616. Use the code DMA16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. So that's HelloFresh.com slash DMA1616. Use that code DMA16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. And you're going to find out why HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. In October, when my book released, I was shipping a lot of copies of books out to people who'd endorsed it or people who were shared stories in it or just friends I wanted to share the book with. And I didn't want to spend hours at the post office. And so I used stamps.com. They helped me so much. It was super easy to use. I was able to print the postage right here at home on my printer, slap it on the packaging, take a big bag of all my packages to the post office and go on my way. For more than 20 years, stamps.com has been helping businesses. And what's great is they give you access to all the post office and UPS shipping services right from your computer. And you get discounts you can't find anywhere, like 40% off USPS rates, 76% off UPS. Whether you're running a small business or you just have a lot of things you're shipping out, I would recommend highly to save time and money this year with stamps.com. You can sign up with the promo code DMA for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, free postage, and a digital scale. 
There's no long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter the code DMA. I hope you all check it out. It really is a fantastic service if you are wanting to ship things and not waste time or money. So it it's tricky. It's it's tricky water, but I think the beauty of having good friends ourselves as parents, that was something I treasured with some of our kids' classes more than others. We would get in with a group of parents that we could really trust. And like if there was a party that my kids said, oh, we're going over to so-and-so's house, their parents are going to be there. I would always just call and talk to the parent, not tell my child, but I would just say, thank you so much for having everyone over tonight. And they would either say, oh, of course, we're so happy to do it and we'll be here. Don't worry. Or they'll say, oh, no, we're going out. We're not going to be here. Thank you so much for letting us know. And so I think parents have to talk and support each other. And I think a big part of what we have to realize is when our child is making good choices, we need to really be humble because there's going to come a time when your child will make a choice that surprises you and disappoints you at some point in the teenage years, or they will just speak to you in a way that you never thought this would happen. And in those moments, we just need such compassion from other families. We need patience. We need wisdom from God. And so I think be careful when your kids are making good choices that you don't sit in judgment and be critical of what's happening in other families. Most families are doing the best they can. So I think we all need to be a support for each other. They're having their friend groups. We need to have our friend groups. (laughs) That's right. Don't mom alone. That's our thing. Don't mom alone. That's right. No, that's really good advice. Very good advice. Okay. Is that the social pillar? Is there more with that? Social. Well, they love all of a sudden they love having crushes and relationships Mm. and they like the opposite sex and girls get very silly and giggly and flirtatious and girls tend to be more forward and ready for this. Oh my gosh. Yes. Moms, I don't want to judge, but rein them in. Okay. (laughs) I know my boys are cute. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. No, No, it is surprising a little bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Whenever I speak to parents of just boys, they often say to me, could you please tell the parents of girls to monitor this more, to to not let them be reaching out to the boys so much and creating these social gatherings? The boys are just not even there yet. They just want to be out with their buds playing whatever. It's interesting how around sixth, seventh grade, this interest shows up. And I'm thankful uh-huh. our school does some socials where boys and girls can be together in big groups parent directed to get Uh it out of their system. Yeah. You know, that whole hanging out in groups thing is healthy and Uh helpful. It's the pairing up, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So keep it to groups. That's always keep it to groups. But if they show a little flame, (laughs) if you over freak out and you say, you're never allowed to talk to that person or this I almost have found that they do it secretively then Mm -hmm. and you create a little situation more than just like, yeah, I don't know. That's my own little anecdotal experience. Yeah. We, we create the forbidden fruit and that's (sighs) a real thing. That's a real thing. Yeah. (laughs) Well, boys are, they can be forward sometimes, but they tend to be more privacy conscious because Mm. of these feelings that they now have. Mm. Um, Sometimes they're defensive Mm. Uh, so that's very normal. If your boy doesn't, your teenage boy doesn't want to share all the scoop with you about his crush. And, and so anyway, social development is, is huge. It's a huge pillar for them. We want to keep it a smaller pillar as parents, but they, it's very big to them. Then we get into the last pillar, which is emotional development. And this is just really their beginning for their search for independence, breaking away from us. And this is a real push and pull through the whole teenage years, just wanting to still be with us, but then wanting to not be with us and wanting to believe what we believe, but then pushing it back against it. And 
wanting us to be there for them and cuddle with them on their terms, but then pushing us away and being embarrassed and angry at us in other ways. So it is this constant back and forth. And I think if we can picture that they are as confused about this internally as they're acting externally, it gives us a little more compassion. I think we can't take all of, we can't take a lot of this personally. The research shows that conflict goes up with mom in particular and distance with dad. This is particularly true of girls. They girls will tend to banter and fight and argue with their moms a lot, but still really feel close to their mom. And then there's this natural distance that often comes between daughters and fathers. If you think about it, dad was pulling his little girl up into his lap and all that. And now all of a sudden she's got a woman's body and looks like a woman and it gets a little awkward. And sometimes dad pulls away and sometimes the daughter pulls away. And so that's something I always say to dads is just be careful that you, you keep that loving relationship going and find ways to connect and spend time with her, find other ways to hug that aren't awkward, whatever it is, because you, the dad really still does need to be that male figure in her life. We don't want to replace him too soon. So that, that can be tricky, but boys, they'll argue some, they'll be a little distant, but it's definitely more obvious with girls. And then one last little thing I'll mention in terms of emotional development, it's very typical for marital conflict to go up during the teenage years. There are different cycles of marital satisfaction across the lifespan. After the birth of the first and second child, marital satisfaction takes its biggest hit. It goes down. We all know why that is. Everyone's exhausted. You're readapting your roles. People have lost their freedom. Then it climbs back up and marital satisfaction during those elementary school years is, is better because those are those easier years of development. Well, then the teenage years hit and marital satisfaction takes another dip because it's a stressful period. Dealing with the teens, the hormones in the house, the conflict that we've just talked about, the different values that we as parents have all of a sudden come to light about how strict we want to be, how much we want to let them do this or this. One of us says, absolutely no drinking till they're 21. One of us says, oh, come on, a beer here and there. It's not a big deal. So uh, some of these, and maybe one says, I don't ever want her to date that boy. He's not good for her. And one says, oh, come on, not a big deal. So these, the stakes are a little higher when you've got these parenting differences. And so I just want to encourage parents that it's normal to have a lot of tension in your marriage. There are often divorces that happen right after the kids leave for college. That is a high percentage of time when families break up. But it's good to just hold on, hold on, because the marital satisfaction, I'm here to tell you when you're an empty nester and they're all in their 20s, it's at its all time high. So it's good to know that there are those cycles and not to be discouraged. Super helpful. And I can attest after the second kid, for (laughs) sure, wrote about it in the book about like, this is when we had our come to Jesus moment and we started implementing some connection points. And I would say, I mean... I don't know what to blame teens or pandemic, but for sure marriage challenges have been on the rise, you know, in the mm-hmm. last couple of years for across the board um, yeah. with friends of mine and Arnon and myself. And so, yeah, for sure. And you have four kids. I have four kids. So these stages last a long time. They do. So is, <laughs> by the time you get to your third and fourth, are you like, oh, we've got teenagers figured out or is it just a really prolonged stressor? Oh, it's a prolonged stressor. Okay, great. I- And we had plenty of challenges toward the end of the teenage years, some that we had never had before, some that I never dreamed we would have. And um, so God kept us humble through the whole process. And I think you're in it for the long haul. You, you, each child is so different. Each class and group of friends is so different. That determines a lot. And so you, you got to stay strong. You can't let down. You can't coast. I think that was the message God gave us. You, nope, you're not going to forget about this last one. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to 
someone messaged me. They're like, we can need an episode on mom burnout. And I think I, I was like, oh yeah, I can resonate. You're just so intentional and so engaged. And then you're just like, again, you know, here we are uh-huh. still in it. Yes. Losing my steam for the rituals and the traditions and making yes. everything great and fun and being involved. You're kind of just like, it's so true. It really yeah. is. So before we go, I mean, that was 40 minutes. I can't believe it. Um, but I would love to hear any just tips you have for parents. I know we've kind of sp- sprinkled them throughout, but if there's anything yeah. you wanted to make sure you said before we were done. I think it's really helpful to introduce your kids to the factual occurrences of puberty before mm. they happen. Um, I think that it's awkward. They don't want to talk about it. And yet they inside are thanking you that you're explaining it and that they don't have to go research it. They don't have to hear from a friend, just the normal factual things that boys go through that girls go through. Is there a good resource for that? I mean, we've shared birds and bees on here a lot. Yeah. So have you ever had Mary Flo Ridley on the Oh, all the time. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think her program, God's design, best design for sex is so great because she walks you through different ages and stages and what to share at different ages and stages. And then just even a Christian bookstore like Logos, I I know because you have a worldwide audience, but a Christian bookstore, they always, they have different book series that break it down by age of what to talk about mm-hmm. with different ages of children. And I just think that's a real gift you can give them. And if they're real resistant to you talking about it, you could say, well, here's this book. If you have any questions, I'd love for you to look over this and we can talk. As Mary Flo Ridley says, you want to appear to be the expert on all of this. You want to appear comfortable as much as inside you're like, I can't believe I'm talking about this because you want them to know that they can come to you and you're not going to freak out. You're not going to push it aside. You will talk to them about these things. So I think that's a real gift to give them. I think we have to think about ourselves being very balanced as parents because we're asking them to be balanced. We're asking them to get exercise and to be healthy and to get, have good sleep habits and good nutrition and eating habits. And we're asking them to dress appropriately. And we're asking them to get their work done and turn your things in on time and be responsible. And we're asking them to be kind. And so we need to make sure we're being balanced in all the four areas of development, just like we're asking them to be balanced. And actually, Heather, one of my favorite books is College Bound by Kelsey Phillips, our good mutual friend. Yeah, she's been on the show. And she goes into those four pillars and creates this great visual diagram of a table with four legs. Mm. And a table is only balanced when the four legs are all the same length. So the social leg, the emotional, the physical, the mental. And if our kids are spending way too much time in the social realm, we can actually draw a picture of a table and show them your tables like this Mm -hmm. and everything that needs to sit on your table in terms of dreams for the future and all the things you want in your life, they're sliding off because your table is out of balance. Mm -hmm. So I think we as parents have to be assessing our own table and are, are we balanced in order to be a good role model for them? And then I, I think uh, we talked about this, but to we have to keep letting the reins out and we'll make mistakes of how much we do and how much we don't, but we just keep praying about it and, and we give them as much independence. But when we're doing that, when we're giving them independence, we require more responsibility on their part and more maturity. And we need to see some of these things if you're wanting more privileges. Mm-hmm. So we kind of have that balance. Then the last thing I would say is, in spite of them pushing back against us, maybe not wanting to spend as much time with us, that we maintain those good family routines and traditions. Family dinner hour is powerful. Mm. All the research in every field, psychology, sociology, child development, shows that the what can make the difference between a teen in crisis and a healthy teen is does this child eat dinner with their family on a regular mm. basis? It's such a simple thing, but it is such an amazingly important thing because in that, even if they're complaining that 
we eat dinner way more than any other families and all that in that they feel loved. And again, they have that sense of belonging that they so crave. And we are just giving them such a gift that as much as snarky as you act, I still love you. And we still want to have this time together with you as a family. And that will go a long way toward launching them. So good. I think with your, the table example, I think that's really powerful. And I think of the teens in this, wherever, hopefully moving out of pandemic. I know it's on a rise right now, but mm-hmm. I think there's been some wackiness in the legs of that table. And so to reevaluate what needs some attention, whether it is emotionally, whether it is some professional counseling or whether it is physically, we've kind of laxed on being more active or whether it's okay. An overreaction to the lack of social last year, and we're doing too much social. I think reevaluating based on those four legs, I think is super helpful. And then Mm -hmm. as far as the family dinners, it's been prioritized for us because I grew up doing that. And my husband grew up doing that. So it was kind of like a no brainer. This is what you do. That's great. But I think a lot of families, when I talk to them, it's them talking about their schedule and there's, you know, all of the practices and the games. And I think you shared something at one of the mops about sports. Are you fam- famous for saying something related to sports involvement? <laughs> I would. Well, let, I don't know if you still say it or if you're willing to, but for the moms of younger kids, it might be helpful. Yes. Oh, yes. When I speak to parents of young children, I definitely say you do have control over your family schedule still. And that one of the biggest gifts you can give young children is a simple schedule because they really need time, quiet time to play in their room or manipulating things in their home and or playing outside in their own backyard or at a playground, just running free. Like we know that a building block in early childhood is free play self-initiated. They initiate it. No one's telling them to stand and kick the ball or to do this somersault or whatever. It's a self-initiated play that creates more neural connections in the brain for them to be able to sit in a classroom in second and third grade and read and write and focus and all those things. So what happens when we're overscheduled, when we have our kids at age four in soccer and ballet and gymnastics and all these good things. They're all fun and good, but we're in the car a lot. They're strapped in and then they get there and they're being told to stand here and go do this. And so really we're spending a lot of time not doing the very things they need, which is free play. And so then in our family, having four kids as you did, and they were all close together, we had to, when they got to elementary school, we kind of had to have some rules about how many activities. And we this is what worked for our family is you can only do one sport a season. And if you're doing it at the YMCA, you don't also get to do it in a club. And there, I can't tell you how much pushback we got from that, from different families, like, but your son's so athletic and aren't you keeping him from being a superstar someday? And, and the thing that I love to say, especially to dads, because dads are often the ones who get ramped up on this. I need my child to be playing golf at age four so that they can be a Tiger Woods someday. All that is Michael Jordan, the best basketball player of all time. He did not start his sport until he was a junior in high school. So I just want to tell you, your child either has it or they don't. And you can have them in all this stuff but you're really sacrificing the very thing that will make them the best athlete they can be, which is free play outside below the age of six. And if your child hasn't done one single structured activity, soccer or ballet or anything until they're in first or second grade, it will take them all of 30 minutes to catch up to the other kids who've been doing it all this time. Yeah. It it might be hard to watch, those first few games, especially yeah. if their other kids have been in club basketball or whatever. But yeah, I think that you're right. I have a nephew. He's genetically made to be an athlete. He didn't play tackle football till I think eighth grade, maybe ninth grade. And mm-hmm. as a junior, he just made all district at a public high school here in Texas, oh, which wow. is 
no small Amazing. thing. Yeah. It's no small thing here. Now I have boys They're They're reasonably athletic. We're now to the point that, okay, you could play an intramural game in college. We've never put our stakes on you getting a scholarship for a sport. So that's <laughs> yeah. not in our range, but I've always thought like the amount of money spent in the younger years for a possible scholarship, you could probably invest and get a pretty nice chunk of cash by the time they're 18 instead mm -hmm. of, you know, all the family hours and time. Now, granted, if your family, that is how you connect and you, yes, that I'm not, there's no, that is your thing. And I am so for you knowing your family brand. That's fantastic. But if you're doing it because you think you should, or you have to, or they're going to miss mm -hmm. out, or that's what makes a good parent because your friends, I'll tell you, that's what you have to do. Mm -hmm. Listen to Nell. If they are meant to be, it's going to happen. That's right. Well, I like what you said. I don't mean to shame anyone who's doing that. If it works yeah. for your family, but I think more what I hear from parents is we are overscheduled and exhausted. And I just want to give you all freedom and permission to know that you don't have to be doing all those structured activities when they're young for them to actually reach their full God-given potential. And one last thing is I think looking now back with my kids all in their 20s, I do not ever regret the family dinners we had. I probably would regret more if we had missed out on those and had spent way too much time on different fields and in gyms and things like that, which is not part of their lives at this point. But the foundation of the family dinners and, and sometimes you have to do them late and sometimes you have to do them early and sometimes you have to be creative. And sometimes you, when they're teens, you only get to do two or three a week. Yeah. Or maybe it's family breakfast, but whatever it is, it's this sacred time that you're giving your kids that message that I love you, you belong here, and we're here for you. Mm. It's so good. You're going to come back. We're going to do another show. This Great. is so fun. I think you're fantastic. I'm so thankful you're here in Dallas, and I need to see you in person soon. But thank you for coming and chatting with my moms here and dads. We have some secret dads that listen. Oh, good. Um, but I appreciate you. And uh, we have show notes. Is there a place online they can connect with you? Uh, not at the moment. Okay. But I will send you, um, I'll send you some of these notes about preteen and teen development and kind of tips for parents, if that is helpful. That's perfect. We'll put a link okay. to that. Yeah. Thanks, That'll Heather. Enjoyed Thank it. you so much. Have a great day. Okay, y'all. Thank you for joining us. I have uploaded the document that she talked about. It has the four pillars on it with some bullet points from what we went over today. Um, I hope it was encouraging to you. I hope that wherever you are in the season of parenting that we can remember um, God is bigger than all of this and we can trust him. I also pray over our marriages in this time. Actually, I'm going to pray right now. So here we go. Lord, I thank you that you've entrusted us with children and children that are ultimately yours. I pray, Lord, for each parent of a current teen and the challenges that are compacted with the pandemic that it is just, it's hard to love uh, and direct well with all that's going on in their minds and their hearts and their souls um, and their desire to just find some firm grounding with all of the changes. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us know what to say, what to do, that you would give us discernment and wisdom, that we would hit our knees first, that we would choose to seek you and pray to you for wisdom and discernment. And Lord, we just pray for the hearts of this generation. We pray that we would be for each other. We would be for each other's kids, that we would support each other in this hard season. I pray for the moms of younger kids that you would remove any fear, that you would remind them that there is grace to walk through the moment in that moment and that you will be their guide. I pray over marriages. I pray for just a supernatural infusion of connection in those golden years and that you would sustain them and give them ways to stay connected in the teen years, that they would um, see each other as partners in this task of parenting. I pray, Lord, um, over just the hearts of our kids, that they would ultimately know you and choose faith in you over anything else. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, y'all, for joining me. We have had two great weeks of our book club. I know it's not for everyone, but I do want to tell you that I get messages from people saying they're really lonely and that they really want mom community. And I feel like it could be a great way to get that on a small scale and maybe give you a taste of what could help you reach people in your community. So this upcoming week, week three, we're going to be discussing chapters five and six, which are about mentors, friendship, and um, walking through conflict. And so I'd love for you to join us. Go to patreon.com forward slash don't mom alone. Become a winner pep club member or an insider if you want to. And going forward, I'd love to do this more often. Maybe do our own version of a podcast club over on Patreon where I can help moms connect with each other. Uh, But I am so thankful to have you here. Join me next week. I have my friend Katie Orr coming on. We're going to talk about Bible study and just figuring out where you are on the spectrum of Bible study and give you some some tools to help you out to study God's word more. Uh, And I hope you have a fantastic week. Adios. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone, head over to don'tmomalone.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I want you to know the good news. The great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, Jesus said when he left, he was going to leave a helper, a comforter to be with us. God in us. Moms, that's superpower. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, while you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, God promises to be just as present with you as when you're worshiping in a church pew. As it says in Zephaniah 317, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's good news. Have a great day.